0: Welcome to another episode of 6060. As well, I can't even say promised, Uh, but as mentioned in the past, um, I have got the continuation of the topic. Are you ready for the end? But with the flavouring of eschatology on this one, um, as I mentioned before, it is very rudimentary. I think there might be things you might at least be able to grab from this conversation that might be helpful to you so um i've had a quick scrub through to see if there's anything i could tidy up but other than me labouring on um probably best left untouched so um without further ado we'll hop in and i guess leading into this i may as well say forgive me <laughs> but yeah we'll jump straight on in More my work to do <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, this is like the, the first question would be really to, to try and find out which camp you fall in with regards to your view or standpoint on end times. Is it uh, pre-millennial, amillennial or post-millennial? And then I guess you can kind of like work
1: from there. hmm Okay. I would assume that um, probably... Uh, Pre millennial yourself, Jane? Myself, uh, yeah, pre millennial, that's right. Okay. Yes.
0: James, are you the same?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: Okay. So I'm the
1: odd one out of the bunch then.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I fall slightly, well, it's in between, they're kind of the same, but they're slightly different, I guess. But yeah, more between like the. Uh, post-millennial slash, pre uh, post-millennial plus amillennial side of stuff um, in that sense. Um, so I guess it might be good to try and, it feels almost like the elephant room. I don't know whether you guys, well, it was definitely before my time, but I don't know whether yeah, it feels like it's that sort of thing. Like, um, So I guess if you, I don't know whether you know your position well enough to be able to explain it to so those who are
1: listening would know. Mm-hmm. Where you stand? If I don't know if James wants to go first on it, or he wants me to go first, I don't know.
0: Uh, either or, or um, if you would want me to go first. Yeah, yeah, that would
1: be okay.
0: Um, I guess like you could guys just stop me at any point, if, so, so then at least if you feel like you can piggyback to show the contrast you can um i guess i grew up being uh premillennial and then um i think it's one's understanding the context of scripture and what things would be referred to and things like that and understand uh, looking into the history of jerusalem and all those other things uh I then moved into the, the realm of either our millennial or post-millennial in the sense of, and I guess that like the biggest thing um, would probably be that I can see that from scripture, I can say that Jesus is reigning now. I guess from like the premillennial standpoint, you would think that um, you believe that Jesus will, Jesus isn't reigning now, but it will reign when He returns, and then the one thousand year reign would um, begin from then. But for, I guess for the I guess the amillennial view is not to say that there is not a millennium; it's just that they they view that as a as a long period of time. And the uh, part being a um, a symbol, I guess for the post-millennial is similar. Um, but in the sense that, um, when you view certain things in scripture, it will be in the root of it being, um, covenantal. Um, so there's two ages, there's the uh, messianic age, um, I guess you could say probably spans from like even before Genesis right up until Jesus comes, then you'll have the the church age that continues on from then, and then Christ will come back, and then you'll judge the world um just well' judge the living and the dead uh resurrect those who are just and unjust, and then those who are unjust will be going to look from those who are found righteous um in Jesus' righteousness will then also go to heaven um but then obviously that means that there are different interpretations with certain scriptures because i guess like the the last time we spoke about this Jay was probably um talking with regards to matthew 24 if i remember correctly um just guess that we are when I initially read that it's just like you would go through that sort of thing. I guess like as everybody does, it's like even up into recently in church, like it's um, especially with everything going on in Ukraine and with Russia. And then you would look at that and go, oh, you know, um, this is uh, something that will pick your ears up to say that, you know, maybe things are moving on. So, um, And because it's all reflected in scripture, you can say, oh, okay, maybe we're all this far on in the process. Whereas, um, from the post-millennial view, these things happen in the, I guess it's the same, it's kind of the same, but I guess it's different in the fact that um, things will happen in accordance to God's sovereign will and but the end goal will always remain the same so humans but these things will always the history has it, almost has a habit of repeating itself so these things will happen because um, sin is still within the midst but the um the gospel is still being um greek people are still being converted and things like that as it goes along which i guess is still quite similar but the um i guess the crux of the matter is the um it's said to be the most quoted um, psalm in the New Testament, which is Psalm 110, but it's just like, um, uh, let me, rather than try and paraphrase. I'm going to have
1: to, no, never mind. Psalm 110? Yeah.
0: Going to read it uh, from verses one right through to six? Uh, can do. Yeah, because to be fair, yeah, we'll I, one bit is referenced several times, but I think it gives a greater context when you read the entire thing. Oh, I've got it here, actually. So it says, yeah, the Lord says to my Lord, uh, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Uh, the Lord sends forth from Zion the mighty scepter, um, Rule in the midst of your enemies, your people offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From, from the womb of mourning, your, uh, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand and he will shatter the kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations filling them with corpses he will shatter chiefs over the wide earth he will drink from the brook by the way therefore he will lift up his head um because i guess one of the arguments against guess that our, our millennial post view is that um, if jesus Jesus can't be reigning now because things are getting worse and worse and worse and things are still going on. But um, in his context, when his passage of scripture is referred to, it is noted that Jesus will reign in the midst of his enemies, but then those enemies will be made his footstool and then like the very last enemy will be death. Um, And I guess he shifts... Um, again, it's I guess it's wholly based on our text because um, if we were to go to Matthew, well, even you we wouldn't even have to go to Matthew twenty-four. I guess you, if you just look at like, the Gospels from the, the instance that you have from um, John the Baptist, or um, well, no, even further than that, if you because I guess it stems from uh, it all starts from um, Daniel's. Vision of the statue with the different elements. Hmm. Um, I need to remember how many. I think I want to say there's four elements. Might be wrong. But you get the silver, no, sorry, gold, silver, bronze, and then is it clay and iron? Bang on. and then you have the stone that comes and destroys it all. cut from the mountain, and that's representative of God's kingdom. Um, then you have like the... Oh, goodness me. Uh, is it the 70 weeks thing, in regards to the arrival of the Messiah? Um, and then it's interesting how... Through this prophecy you see how... Jesus comes and he's, as he's, you know, gives showing signs and wonders, he's come from, uh, come from God as the Messiah, um, that these Jews should have been looking out for, or, um, because, you know, they have these things that is written as literature and mm-hmm. um, that he says that, you know, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And then there's debates as to, well, if it's in your midst, if it's not in your midst, this won't happen. If it is in your midst, these things will happen. Then they happen. Um, then um, you go into like John the Baptist. He's, um, he's baptizing everyone. Then as the Sadducees and the Pharisees come, it's like, oh, um, you brood of vipers. He warned you about the wrath to come. So it's like all of these things are very much in context to them. Um, obviously, Jesus is Starting his ministry, people are being drawn to him for different reasons. Some to be saved, others are just because they want to have their, you know, ailments and stuff changed. Um, and he allows it to happen because he proves that he's in. He's definitely um, the Son of God. And then as he walks up to the, uh, as he travels up, um, especially in notoriety with the scribes and the Pharisees, you go to Matthew twenty-three. Is it? Um, we'd get the. Oh, seven walls. So, yeah, one or two scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, and he goes through all those sorts of things. Um, and then he says, you know, um, your house will be left to you desolate and things like that. <coughs> and as obviously Jesus is leaving there, um, the. the Disciples or the apostles are like, oh, you know, look at how wonderful this um, this temple is. You know, it looks marvellous and such and such. And Jesus obviously says, um, not one stone will be left upon this. It will, essentially, it's going to be destroyed. And then they would ask afterwards, it's like, oh, um, what's the sign of your coming and uh, the end of the age? I guess, like in the King James version, it says, end of the world. But if um, the word that you've used there is the incorrect one because the root word in the Greek behind that is ion. If it were the world in its entirety, it would have been cosmos, but to use the word ion, which means end of the age. If you were to go to different translations, or would use, word, use the word end of the age. Um, and in the Strong's, it will say specifically to like the messianic age. And then it explains all the things that will happen in regards to the, um, regards to the destruction of that temple um, and everything in the course of history and I guess like if you were to follow it through which I guess we can do because I guess you still need to explain what I said like the, um, those things are oh, a lot of this in scripture um, but then um, with the fact he said you know these things will happen um, this generation or some of you will not, um, will not, um, will still be alive when these things happen, all these little things that I would have, well, I had overlooked growing up, but then it's, as you know, you're trying to um, critically analyse the text, you realise, oh, actually, you know what? in this context, he's talking to them about a specific thing that's going to happen to them. Uh, the biggest thing about it being the temple. Um and then like things unfold after that. But I guess um, it then allowed made me try to work out where, <coughs> where that interpretation comes from. Um, apparently the, I didn't know, but apparently the uh, millennial slash uh, a viewpoint on scripture has generally been the... Yeah most, is like the most long standing one in the Christian, in Christian history, and uh, going to back to like, as far as like the Puritans and things like that. Um, but then it was um, more recent that the premillennial one came along due to a, um, a particular study guide on the Bible, uh, made by a particular guy, I can't remember his name I have to dig it out. And then um, from that, things like Left Behind, um, got implemented to try and, um, not, not to try and, but off the basis of that, um, that interpretation, um, things like the Left Behind series and stuff were published in light of what that, um, that thing was. So it was interesting to see how it all kind of came about. But then it's like, I guess, um, in regards to one of the, um, in regards to like Matthew 24, it'd be interesting for us to, to walk through at least that, First, so we can see where um, where we go, because like the premillennial view is most dominant one in Western culture, but obviously there are still <clears> those who <throat> um, fall into the other two. But I guess if you want to be able, if you want the chance to be able to explain the premillennial view, and then walk through um, Matthew twenty-four, because I guess from both our viewpoints you might see it as um, or, but to be fair and you can still draw from it so then you can see how things work in the future but you would probably say that's prophetic for those outside of scripture whereas um, I would, along with those in as millennial view would say that this is something that's something that's happened within that This generation, but that would then be reflected in how we interpret that scripture. I don't know if you want to share your view first, that scripture, um, and maybe bits of revelation
2: to hopefully try and flesh that out. I did want to ask you a question, actually, Reese. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Um, because you said that we are—you believe that we're in the Messianic age—is that correct?
0: No, no. The the Messianic age um, was that leading up to Jesus arriving and then there's a church age from then onwards.
2: Oh, okay. So like all the prophets and
0: the the stuff were pointing towards this Messiah coming. Yeah. When the the Messiah came. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then um, once the Messiah came, he established his church and then that church age pushed on from then. Mm.
2: Mm. Because it kind of has a... You know, uh, because even in Judaism, because they are still waiting for the Messiah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. This is where, especially in prophetic or in prophecy, that they will be fooled by the Antichrist because the Antichrist will come as, in the same characteristics of the Messiah, it will give false hope in regards to the temple,
1: Mm. uh,
2: bring about war. Well, the end of war, everyone's in peace, um, and a, a kind of a a unison or a unification move, um, the people of the world. So there would be a a bit of a <laughs> a bit of a dodgy one, especially when it comes to that time. So that's why I was only just asking. I thought you said that you believe we're in the messianic age now. You see. So that's no, what no, I was, no, no, no. I, I just wanted to ask, like, what was the evidence? But no, no, I was, <laughs> I probably miss it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, to be fair, it's like, it's,
0: I, it's one of the things where I came up on it and then I had to then go and try and understand, like, the greater context of it all because I know that, yeah. Um, there's those, so people call it uh, preterism, yeah, like yeah. Partial yeah. preterism. Um, I guess it's, it's what called call my like orthodox preterism, so I still believe that Jesus is coming back. There's going to be a judgment for all that, but then it's like you've got those who are uh, fully preterist, like the Mormons, who think that, you know, we are now, that like this is like the new heaven, new earth sort of era, and they're working in that sort of thing. But obviously that makes, well, like I wouldn't even consider them as Christians with, with the way that they, their theology is built up. Um, yeah, but that's the like the extreme that they've taken it. But with regards to keeping it within the confines of um, scripture, there is definitely still going to be a return of Christ in a bodily form. There's still going to be a judging of the the living and the dead, the just and the unjust. Um, and then there's going to be like a new heaven and new earth. It's just that when it comes to things like Matthew 24, I yeah, yeah, I wouldn't interpret that as it's, it's prophetic, yes, but um, not prophetic in the sense of Eschatology more like a Jewish history, sort of prophetic. Because mm. it's the things that he's talking about, the way that the, the words are structured um, and the conversations held seems very much pointed to them. And it seems consistent with how the accounts roll up um, in scripture, but then also how the different gospels, specifically like Luke, um, Seems to almost like translate what he says due to the way that he, um, he reads the language. But if you want to, um, just like if we were to to like go through, um, if you want, you guys want to go through like Matthew twenty four and then explain like for those who are listening how. I guess like how we've all come to understand it, and then we can kind of like flesh it out from there.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Jesus was literally speaking to his disciples and they asked him to basically, he says, what will be the sign uh, of the end or the coming of the end of age? Mm -hmm. Um, there's always been killings for your faith or killing or or genocide or these kind of things um that it talks about in uh, there's always been nation rising against nation kingdom against kingdom uh, which it speaks about in Matthew 24 verses 7 8 9 and then it goes it goes down and then it describes you know to me um, it's showing the heart of people as well that people will be b- betray one, uh, betray one another and shall hate one another, the condition of the heart uh, many false prophets and, and and Christ will arise and, and deceive many. I mean, there's a lot in there, but in a nutshell, and then it says uh, in verse 14 that the, the kingdom of the gospel that will be preached in the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end shall come, uh, the, the 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 coming of Christ. So it's quite it's <laughs> there's quite a lot. Obviously, I'd have to do more research on it, but that would be the for me. That's the second coming, the second coming of. Of, of Christ for me when he when he comes back to, to the judgment basically. Okay. So uh, coming from a pre-premillennial point of view, so after the, the the um sorry the reign of Christ that the, the final or the final the final judgment for me that is um the the, the end judgment the final judgment for the for the whole world um. And then verse fifteen. That's quite a bit, that's quite a deep one. In conclusion, um, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, standing in the holy place. Um, obviously, you've got to go back to the book of Daniel, mm-hmm. and we've got to go back into uh, Judaism to understand uh, exactly. Uh, uh, what that is, I don't want to waffle on, but what that, what that is, uh, it's something definitely God hates. It's a, it's an abomination and it's something that uh, we believe the, the antichrist, whoever comes on the scene, um, during the great tribulation, during the tribulation will put that in the, in the, in the holy place in the temple of God to defile G- God's temple. And it's something that God hates, um, so it's it's there's quite a lot in there, but I, I but overall I do believe that uh, we are seeing an intensity with what's happening, and he says it will it'll start as birth pains and then it'll get worse and worse. So, um, the coming of Christ is is closer and closer, and I and I believe in the pre-trib that God will uh, come for, during the this what we're living in the church age. Uh, they call it the Church Age. Now, what we're living in, in the in the grace dispensation, that God will come during uh, this time uh, for the rapture to where to, uh, to take the people of God away before the uh, the Great Tribulation starts.
0: Okay, I don't know if James had something he wanted to add or he's still
1: digging in. Yeah. And then you've got the false Christ, false prophets arising. And we we've seen many of them as well. That's in verse twenty-four of Matthew. Um um, and it says, if it were possible it could deceive the very elect, the you know, the people of God, there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of great wonders and great signs. We're gonna see, you know, if if it happens in our lifetime, if if Christ comes back. and the rapture. If the rapture happens, sorry to be clear, in our lifetime, um, we're going to see more kind of um, deceiving, deceiving devices uh, on, you know, all kinds of unrighteous, all kinds of unrighteousness, ungodly things, and you know, we are seeing that now, really, and uh, you, you know, you see it in social media, you see it on the TV, you see it on the internet, it's in your face, it's on billboards. It's just subtle and it's, you know, you know, there's many things we can we can uh, speak of that are against God's will. And it's just it's just perpetual and people are being deceived. People who have even been in, uh, you would say, church a long time, even pastors and people are being deceived and even people who've been walking with Christ uh, for a long time or or, who are very studious in the scriptures. You know, it's possible you know to be deceived it's very possible because it could look like it looks so good or it could sound so good and we could be i could be convinced it, you know you could be convinced if we if we're not careful sorry if we're not in the scriptures and we're not s- searching the scriptures for ourselves we could be deceived in in some way um, so we have to be very careful um you know speak to myself like you know, um, and I think we've got to let scripture line up with scripture mm-hmm. and you got to, you, you do have to compare and contrast because it, it's not just, it's not just simply looking at the one scripture. The Bible is 66 books um, that's been chosen to, to make up the Bible, 66 books um, by the inspiration of God. So it's, it, they have to be compared and contrasted certain scriptures. Um, to do with, you know, end time, end time prophecy, because it's 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 a massive massive study, and you know we wouldn't be able to cover it in 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 one night. It, it takes weeks, and it takes mm. it takes a long time.
0: Okay, so I guess what I could do is I could if I walk through um, certain things that um, popped out further once I understood. Um, I <coughs> think in, in context. Um,
1: I guess one of the biggest ones is that, um,
0: if I were to go down to
1: the, where have they gone now.
0: If I start from thirty six, but it's like thirty seven um, to forty three, really. Um, this is now concerning the day or the hour. Nobody knows. Neither ain't the angels <coughs> of, of heaven nor the Son except the Father alone, as of the days of, Noah, of As of the days of Noah. Um, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For well, those were the days before the flood. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way of the coming of the Lord will be. Two men will be, um, will be in a field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two men will be, no, sorry. <laughs> Two women will be grinding uh, grain with a hand mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Uh, therefore, be alert. Since you don't know what day the Lord is coming. Um from like the pre of view, you look at the, you know, one will be taken, one will be left. Mm-hmm. As uh the righteous being taken and then the unrighteous being left. But like even with this, like it's starting from fact where that Jesus says, as in the days of Noah, but um, so what would the coming of the Lord be the Son of man. Um, so in those days, um, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, and you know, before they ended, didn't know the flood would come. He said it was going to be like that. So if it was a case of the righteous one being taken, then, and that's been um, done in terms of being in comparison to the story of Noah that Jesus is referencing, you would then. End up with a bit of cognitive dissonance because in the days of Noah, it wasn't Noah and his family that were taken; it was the unrighteous. Yes. So when he's saying it will be like the days of Noah, he's saying that one will be taken out, and the other one will be left. The other one will be taken out, another one will be left, similar to the days of Noah. So it's like Mm -hmm. in its context. Uh Like if you were there, that would make sense of the case of, okay, he's talking about, he mentioned Noah, but he said, you know, one will be taken, one will be left, left behind as in like the meek shall inherit the earth sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Same way that Noah did. So it's like, that's what I mean by, um, it it does almost um, show like the, the differences in how the, the scriptures are interpreted because yeah it's again it's going back to like the fact that um even if we we're to go to the beginning uh, i could say that the beginning of matthew uh hopefully it starts where i think it does no it doesn't uh, i want to say matthew 3 oh yeah um so matthew 3 verse 1 um, in the days of noah john the baptist came preaching um in the wilderness of judea saying repent because because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is spoken of to the prophet Isaiah, who said, "A voice coming, uh, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight." And that one's referring to Isaiah forty verse three, I believe. What this says, oh, yeah. Um, it talks about his um, his appearance. the camel hair garment and the leather beds and all that, then, like I said before, um, when you saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees come in, you said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? well, what wrath would that be if it weren't one specifically to them in the context? And it's like, therefore produce um, fruit consistent with repentance. And don't say for yourselves, presume for yourself to say that we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. He says, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. I baptize you with the water of repentance, but the one who comes after me, who is more powerful than I, I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat out of the barn, but the wheat and chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. So it's like there is this very, very, very imminent danger of judgment for these guys because he's saying that the root is already, uh, the axe is already at the root of the tree. The kingdom of God has come. Jesus has come with salvation and judgment, and there is going to be salvation for those who Jesus draws to himself and then judgment for those who are broken his covenant. And you see it very much where every time Jesus has conversations or challenges those um, who have held on to his law, but they've distorted it, they've perverted it, um, they've added stuff and, you know, they've used it as a, a form of oppression. He challenges them specifically for breaking, um, breaking the law of God or, usurping it or twisting it for their own gain. and um, There's several other things that kind of um, instances where that goes through. Um, and even like little details where um, as Jesus is walking up towards, um, walking up towards a carrying his cross up to be crucified, and he sees the women um, weeping. It's like um Oh it's a weep not for me, but weep for yourselves for weep not for me. Oh I'm gonna have
1: to go to it now. Weep mock four. Oh,
0: it's in Luke twenty-three, apparently. So I see if I can pull it off. Uh, look, look, look! 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 Where are you, Look. Look. there we go. Twenty-three. Uh, somewhere in there. oh yeah um salute so 23 27 uh, says like a large crowd followed him including men and women who including women who were mourning and lamenting him but he turned to them saying daughters of Jerusalem do not weep for me but weep for yourselves and your children look the days are coming when they will say blessed are the women without children for their wombs that never bore and their breasts um, that never nursed then they will begin to say to the mountains fall on us and hills cover us for if they do these things when the wood is green what happens when it's dry so it's like well he, Jesus is obviously alluding to something happening to specifically like this generation again but yeah um. I, after going through, it's just like, well, again, Jesus was talking about, um, you know, the destruction of the temple. Then he's saying like these things, that's just like something is coming. Something is coming. Something is coming. It's not going to be, with something is coming. If, if Matthew 24 is understood to be a very much a future present, like a future tense thing, then how, where do you draw the well, where, where would the line of um, thinking for Jesus be when he mentions this thing, like things like these two dolls in that generation
1: In his time?: Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well it's a, it's a warning to them and to their, I guess, to their, for them to tell their children's children, basically to pass the message down in the ages. Um, that's what I would think. It, like the the preaching of the coming of the Lord has been preached for before we were born a long a long time from from um, thousands of years ago, from when Jesus came on the scene. So it's been preached. So I think it's for them people to just take a, account, be accountable, so they know that the Lord is coming, and uh, some of the details that are going to happen. They don't know everything but to to be to be warned how we live how we live our lives and um, so i think it's a, it's a warning to us we should be, we should be taking account um, and and for our children as well if we, you know if we have children to take account we we pass that message on to them and, li- and live the best way we can live to be an example to them because we have to we have to give an account for our own selves mm-hmm. and for what and for what we have basically for what we have done in in the body in in our mortal bodies we have to give an account so it's um it, it that's very important it's very it's vital so it was important for them to know that as as well as for this next generation in our time right here right now they need to know that as well, yeah,
0: and I agree like definitely in light of the like the final judgment, that's
1: yeah.
0: something that um something that everybody needs to consider um, just like to find out like, well you need to, yeah, you need to choose a side essentially um, Yeah. like the you know the gospel still needs to be preached, and people need to be discipled in the in the ways of the Lord. Um but it's just the fact that it's like if you because there's well to be fair, because um I I guess I'll do yeah, uh, since we've had our last conversation, like I've I've learned how to like a method to interpret the Bible without reading into it, but to draw out its intended meaning. Um so it's called like um the two things yeah. that are called it's like exegesis, um which means to to critical analysis and to draw out from scripture and hermeneutic so it's understanding the the genre of the book the the words being used um the uh, the historical context and the the things that were going on at that time and then as i begin to then gather all this information you then begin to understand what um the original author would have been saying to the recipient Oh, okay. And once you've understood that, then you can draw out the the things that can be applied to yourself. Um, That I believe, and I've tested it, it seems to be like the, the very, um, the most faithful way of going through scripture, rather than me reading into it saying that, Oh, okay. And from my viewpoint, like in terms of like human history, has been so far removed from it that this is what this could mean so it's, it leaves that level of uncertainty so i could like it I, could, I guess the exegesis is not um is not foolproof but yes it, it mitigates and reduces that um that probability of me making errors with regards to um, interpreting the bible down to less than 10 percent. i could almost say yeah um, and it also keeps me mindful and disciplined with regards to how I how my traditions and stuff are impressed in the um, in scripture. Uh, one sec, as Ella joins, join in. Hello, Els. <laughs> oh, she might be connecting to audio. You've joined. Um, <laughs> well, to be fair, we haven't. It's it started recently, but. Um, yeah, it would be good to get your cause we're, we're already kind of on a roll. Um, I don't know, actually, I don't know if she can If you can hear us or whether you can chat. Um, I'm guessing you're a pre millennial as well. If you are, um, you've got Jay on your side, so I don't know if you want to help. With regards to, because we were just going through like the gone through a few scriptures already, but uh, at this point in time, we're just, just discussing how um, how I interpret scripture um, with regards to like the exegetical methods and using hermeneutics and things like that. Um, so, if I were to go to this book, just so like okay, I'll go to the book of Matthew. Who is it written by? A person called Matthew. He was a tax collector. Okay, where did he come from? Oh, he was, um, he worked in Capernaum, but he was Jewish. So, okay, that's great. Um, You can see that he's very, because of his profession, he's going to be rather meticulous with his, um, rather meticulous with how he records details. Um, And that's very helpful with regards to how I then work through the scriptures. Um, but then understanding that we have synoptic Gospels. So um, synoptic means that essentially we have three people. Well, we have people who have viewed the same events, but from different, um, but through, through their own eyes. And I guess there's certain things that have impressed them with um, how they've done that. So if you've got Matthew, Mark and Luke, that are the synoptic Gospels, but then John isn't considered a synoptic gospel because of the how... He's written his book. It's not necessarily written as a um, an eyewitness account or a historical narrative, but more so. It's I when I say the word poetic, I don't mean like he's written as a sort of like story sort of thing, but more so that he has um, taken. You can see as how he's structured his gospel that is very much trying to affirm the divinity of Christ. And there's a lot of supernatural things that he points out that isn't mentioned in the other gospels, but you see the effects. So you see the source of it in John's gospel, but then you see the effects of it in the others. Um, So with regards to like the synoptic ones, um, you can go to Matthew 24 and you know that there's going to be another account Similar to it to help flesh out the discussions of whatever was going on at that particular time, in possibly in the other two, and specifically with this one, you'd, um, you'd have to go to Luke. Um, the difference with Luke, the uh, Luke was a physician slash a doctor, um, so he again is quite meticulous with his um, with his with his detail, but him not being uh, raised in Jerusalem as it were, he's, um, he's I think Greek by um, he's like natively Greek or from like sort of like a Greek area so you see that in how he writes his, yeah. um, his wording so there's um, especially when we come back to so like Matthew 24 like you mentioned the abomination of desolation um, Luke yeah. knows about that but he translates that into Gentile speak. So if you we were to go to Luke 21, you would see that where, um, Jesus talks about the abomination of desolation. Luke 21 says when Jerusalem is surrounded by armies, it's like, okay. So you can see that that's how that makes sense. So, um, you know, when Jerusalem is surrounded by armies, it says, oh, you know, flee to Judea. That's somewhere that's close to Jerusalem flee to the mountains and things like well, yeah, like those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Judea is obviously in the precinct of Jerusalem, and you're telling those who um, are there at that time to flee to mountains. So but I guess the the perennial side would be to say that there's a there's going to be a third temple. Um, and then those things will establish from then but then I would see them from like a hermeneutical standpoint yeah. what would be the purpose of uh, understanding like what the purpose of the temple was for. It was the place where, you know, God's presence was and the place where they went to go make sacrifices for people's sins. And we understand that as, you know, through the entirety of Jewish history, this was central to them. You know, this is a place where they made atonement and, um, they were reminded of their sins and how much they couldn't do anything about it. You know, the book of Hebrews is quite clear on how much of what they were doing in terms of practicing was almost um, allowing them to come to the understanding of what Jesus was going to do when, um, when the Messiah arrived and then for Jesus to come and to say that he's going to destroy the temple. Like when he goes to the cross, very first thing that happens is that the veil is torn in two. So they don't, you know, that is not considered as um, totally important anymore because Christ has come and then he sells, sends his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. So there was no need to go to a place to um, experience God. God has now allowed himself to, through the atoning work of Christ to dwell within us. So we become the temple um, that the presence of God dwells inside, and we are conformed into the mind of and the and the mind and the image of Christ. As we walk through that um, that uh, walk through with that life of sancti- uh, through salvation and sanctification, then it's just the problems of problems of um, with. The idea of a third temple being built would mean that it would come at odds with what Jesus has done. I mean, I can understand them building a new temple for those who don't believe that, you know, the Messiah has come. I totally get that from that point. But in terms of like God deciding to build another temple so then the Jews can continue to do. The things that they used to do like animal sacrifices wouldn't make sense because of the cross because even hebrews talks about that like why would you go back to those things if um like if you go back to those things then like the cross is of no use to you and essentially you're going to be under the law and you'll be damned but it's only through christ um through christ alone through faith alone and by his grace alone are we saved so it's these little things that um, like I understand that like, the premarital view is held most dominantly now, but as I walk through scripture and you I try to you, you observe it, how it unfolds in the context of that time period and who Jesus is talking to at that point, it seems quite overwhelmingly evident that you know, Jesus was talking to the Jews with regards to something that was going to happen within their lifetime because he mentions that these things will come upon this generation within the course of the entirety of the um, um, uh, the gospels up until that point, and then
1: um, I've lost my train of thought now. The Jews. Well, you said about the Jews, it coming. Uh, what Jesus has said uh, would come upon the Jews. The um, they they yeah, yeah.
0: So the yeah, yeah. The the so, yeah, there was a yeah. It was essentially um, because it's like it's. Cause it was, um, I guess like for me to give even greater context, I would have to go into um into Revelation but before I do that um I kinda, well yeah, there's other books like I guess we'd have to to dig into in order to flesh this out um, first of all if you've made it this far I congratulate you I will send a metaphorical YouTube award or any form of award through to the post to you um yeah, if this has been beneficial to you, or at least you've got your cogs wearing, or even if you've got questions, um either you send it to us or you ask others around you. Um I think it is a good way to good conversation to start with everything going on, but also shows how we uh, interpret scripture and things like that. Again I do apologize that it is a bit of a mess. Um but To be fair, I do have something in mind that might be a better place for this. Well, at least two other things, whether it be a study is one thing, but then another one that I might, um, and that's a little further on the line, depending on how things go, but um, I'm working a few things in the background, as it were, to try and see how it might be best to do things like this, but also other things in the future. The next discussion will be one that is Quite interesting with um, recent events in terms of like Bible study and stuff. Um, I guess like, personally and in the group um, of those who are helping drive this um, 66 Deep podcast forward. Um, it's posted on Instagram that it, um, Alfred who's part of the team um, was working on something called the joy of taking up God's word the conversation there is actually very deep and very thought-provoking and very challenging and also very insightful um that will probably be the next one um as i work things in the background regards to this topic but um i'll say look out for that one um that one's in the midst of being edited and stuff so that'll be something to to look forward to to break up the, the messiness of this conversation but until the next one